0: Welcome to the Gensler Design Podcast. The Gensler Design Podcast creates a dialogue between experts, creative trendsetters, and thought leaders to discuss how we can shape the future of cities through the power of design. I'm your host, David Calkins, the Regional Managing Principal of Gensler's Asia-Pacific Middle East region. The future of work is being shaped by a variety of factors, including the increasing prevalence of AI, the rise of the gig economy, and remote work. As these trends continue to gain momentum, it is increasingly important for both workers and employers to prepare for the changes that lie ahead. To help us understand these trends and their implications for the future of work, we are pleased to be joined by Dr. James Andrade, Senior Vice President of Capital Land and Head of Learning and Innovation at Catapult, a senior executive learning center designed by Gensler to help develop the next generation of leaders. Dr. Andrade brings a wealth of experience and expertise to the table, and we look forward to hearing his insights on how AI and other emerging trends will shape the future of work and what we can do to prepare for these changes. So, James, it's good to see you. Welcome to the podcast. We're both in Singapore today and you're a great client of ours, so we really appreciate that. We uh, really look forward to hearing about the project and having your insights. But maybe before we, uh, before we get started on that, can you give us a little bit of your professional background and your current position at Capital N?
1: Sure, David, and good morning to you, and uh, good to see you as well. it's It's been a little while. My career started David uh, as a neuroscientist. I received my uh, my doctorate in neuroscience and spent uh, the early part of that uh, that time working for the Department of Defense uh, for the Walter Reed Army Institute of Research. After some time uh, uh, doing the postdoctoral studies at Walter Reed, I did a career pivot uh, and went into uh, private industry, uh, working for multinational companies, mainly in the food uh, area. Uh, I spent about a 30-year career uh, in, the, in the food industry. But over that time, I uh, jumped around quite a bit. I did a stint in marketing, uh, did some time in strategy, also in uh, consumer insights, uh, and obviously in, in research and development. After uh, completing uh, my time in in private industry, I left the food industry while here in Singapore and uh, started uh, more of an academic side of things. I was doing lecturing at uh, SMU. I was an adjunct professor at Griffith University and had taken on a role with Roger Williams uh, University as a trustee. I received a, a phone call about uh, six years ago with uh, an intriguing uh, opportunity to consult on a project for, at the time, Ascenda Singbridge, to develop a shared executive learning institute at the uh, heart of Science Park area that turned into Catapult. And today, as you indicated, I serve as a senior vice president uh, within Capital Land and the head of the catapult Shared Executive Leadership and Innovation Institute
0: well, so catapult is really your your baby, you know, really your idea. And you put that whole proposal together and and then subsequently won the project. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about the campus that it sits in and the nature of catapult itself?
1: So starting off with the nature of catapult, it was an edB initiative that started many many years ago singapore has had a uh, a legacy and a history of the capabilities of people across the board and the idea around uh, catapult really started to coalesce around 2015 and this was a pivotal time for singapore it was the uh, anniversary 50th anniversary of singapore it was the year that lee kuan yew passed away and the, the country became very introspective about its future. One of the questions that was asked is, if we continue to do the same things that made us successful these past 50 years for the next 50 years, will that sustain us? Will we see the same level of growth and development? And, uh, you know, all credit to to Singapore, uh, both the business side and the government side, they came back with a, with a very uh, hard... Answer saying no, that we had to do things differently, and one of the areas that they wanted to focus in on was how could we uh, step change our our capabilities on the business side and historically, Singapore has been placing bets uh, in terms of upskilling uh, capabilities on the business side and and other parts of of the society. Human capital leadership is an organization that had previously Kind of focused at the top of the pyramid with CEOs and C suite individuals looking at best practices, publishing uh, research in the areas of, of leadership. Further down on the pyramid, uh, there was Skills Future that was putting together uh, training programs to reskill people, uh, put them into new uh, new areas. But there was a gap. And one of the solutions was to build a facility in Science Park that would draw the diverse types of people and industries that comprise this area into a central location where there would be an exchange of ideas and there would be almost like a building equivalent of Silicon Valley. The idea of just building a facility was an interesting one, but uh, the question came back was, how would that facility run? And that's when I got involved to help pull together the strategy and and the pedagogy of what catapult would ultimately become, and that's where uh, the collaboration with with Gensler and at the time Ascenda Singbridge developed this uh, this facility that's uh that's quite unique. It's based on having a a capability to develop future ready leaders, and it's predicated really on what we call the three C's, campus, curriculum, and community. On the campus side, we wanted to create a state-of-the-art facility that was dedicated and purpose-built to learning, and particularly for executives. The community side was to have within this uh, facility a co-learning capability, to be able to bring in knowledge providers Uh, from universities as well as as boutique knowledge providers that would be able to uh, create a training environment that was immersive and experiential. And the third was curriculum. That was to develop a curriculum curated from those knowledge providers that was purpose-built for developing the next generation of leadership. So campus, community, and curriculum are the three C's that underlie the pedagogy of, of Catapult. And the areas that we focus in on are leadership, innovation, and what we call energy for peak performance. On the leadership side, we, leadership is a broad construct. And where we focus on leadership is managing through ambiguity and managing through paradox. Because we know that all the easy answers, the answers that are black and white, uh, the answers that are are true textbook answers, they become much more difficult as you move up your career development. As a matter of fact, the higher up you go, the less the answers are black and white, the more they're some shade of gray. And it's very often that uh, your first answer may not be correct. So how do you course correct quickly Uh, in the face of this ambiguity and this paradox to come up with the right answers. On the innovation side, once again, a very, very broad construct. And where we focus in on is the back end of innovation. If you think of the front end of innovation as identifying new opportunities and kind of looking over the horizon where the future will lie, the, uh, the back end of innovation is more of, how do you commercialize? and How do you turn those new ideas into wealth? That's the area that we focus in on from an innovation standpoint. The final area, which we call energy for peak performance, we had to fight a little bit to get that one in as a core area of focus. It was seen as something that was not exactly important to leadership and, and not important to, uh, to innovation. But In this environment, David, where we're all connected to our mobile devices 24-7, the concept of work-life balance is somewhat of a misnomer. The reality is we don't work eight hours and get to play for eight hours. Most leaders today are working 10, 12, even 14 hours, and the time that they have left, it's really about how they balance their energy. How they mobilize their energy for their family, their friends, and even for themselves. And so mm-hmm. we developed this other area, which we call energy for peak performance, where we look at how do you better integrate your physical, your emotional, your mental, even your purpose and your values in such a way that you have the energy to not only do your work, but for your family, for your friends, and for yourself.
0: Well, what an amazing program. And thank you for that incredible description of it. So the three pillars of leadership innovation and peak human performance. I'd like to ask you about how the physical features of the facility sort of support those. But before I do that, I just wanted to say thank you for inviting me to the opening, uh, the official opening, which was uh, an amazing experience. And along that line, um, that the opening of the opening really was a, a big, group drumming session which was so incredibly experiential and i think i've I've read that um, adult learners really learn best sort of through experience settings and uh, it seems like that's really what what is sort of one of the main um, focuses of of your program to begin with so maybe if you could talk about experience a little bit and then if you could talk about how the physical design of the facility supports the three pillars
1: absolutely when i first was brought in to take over this project one of, one of my conditions was that I want to design something both from a physical as well as from a curriculum standpoint based on neuroscience principles and uh, I was very, very fortunate that um, Senda Singbridge was working with Gensler, who immediately understood what we were trying to achieve and how we were trying to embed science into uh, the design of what we envisioned for for Catapult. So in collaboration with uh, with Gensler, we were able to hit on designs that were able to leverage the neuroscience principles that underpin Catapult. One is that people learn best when there is an emotional connection or content to the environment and to the learning uh, materials. The second is that socialization is key to learning. People learn not only from a knowledge provider that's standing at the front of the room, but they learn from each other. So environments that actually foster interaction and socialization are key. The third neuroscience principle is that of information processing, how people learn is through experimentation. And so environments that uh, promote experimentation are also key to to the learning process. For one, the design is one where we make extremely good use of natural light as well as interior light. Our, Our classrooms are extremely open to nature. Very often you get early fatigue uh, amongst uh, participants in, in the learning environment because there's not a lot of natural light. It's, it's somewhat dark in the rooms, and it just is not conducive to, uh, to maintaining attention. In, in Catapult, you don't see that. Actually, the rooms are, are quite open, quite a bit of natural light. And even on the interior light, we don't have a lot of straight lines in Catapult. Um, it's actually quite organic and curvilinear. That was a a design feature that uh, was purpose built to to once again stimulate the brain to provide a a level of exploration and newness as you move and transverse uh, between your classes. We change color, we change texture, all the while stimulating individuals as they're in this learning environment to prepare the brain and prepare them for, for learning and, and for, for the uh, information that's, that's to come. The other side, so that actually hits on, on the emotional component. It hits on the uh, way that people process uh, information. The other uh, major neuroscience principle that is a part of the design feature is the social. Our classrooms, we don't really call them classrooms. We call them mission studios because they're extremely flexible. Uh, The whole idea of the Mission Studio is we place emphasis on the learners. So very often the knowledge provider or the professor, they're not at the front of the class. They may be in the center of the class. Uh, The tables are designed so sometimes it's a conventional seating arrangement. Other times it's more standing uh, type of, of arrangement that actually works well if we're doing a lot of innovation work, uh, people can move from table to table. The spaces are extremely flexible. The other is that we have a, a number of social spaces around the classrooms because very often learning doesn't only take place in the classroom. It takes place in the conversations that happen outside of the classroom. So we have seating areas that are outside of the classrooms that are more social in nature and more casual in nature. All of these come together to create an immersive type of experience for our learners. And then we have uh, our environments that that take advantage of the rooms and the technology. So we have two uh, rooms in particular. One is a 180 degree room where we can project and students are immersed within the information and, and the content that they're, uh, they're being exposed to. The other is a 360-degree room, and that was one that uh, we used particularly when we did a segment on the metaverse, some of our university professors who can start with one aspect of something that they're training on and actually move 360 degrees around the room as they present and build on whatever the content is that they're, they're showing to the class or that their students are experiencing.
0: Well, great stuff. I mean, we so enjoyed working with you, James, and getting all your insights and bringing the real science um, approach to, to design. It was it an was amazing experience. But let's pivot now, if we could, and talk a little bit about the changing nature of work you know, at a, almost a moment's notice, we've changed the way we all work uh, for a couple of years, and now we're sort of coming back and really trying to figure out where things are headed. So, as you're trying to train this future generation of leaders, talk a little bit about the work environment you know situation that they're going to be leading through. so the pandemic, like many
1: companies, caught us uh, quite a bit off guard. We were in pretty much the middle stages of the design of Rochester Commons in which Catapult is, is located, and uh, we were suddenly faced with a challenge that made us uh, pivot from what we originally thought was going to be strictly in-room training to have to think about, what if people don't come back to traditional in-classroom training? What does that look like? And uh, it It made us look at and tweak our model somewhat, and this is where I think uh, having a very flexible space and a very uh, open space actually played to our advantage because it allowed us to rethink and reconceive what the future of of training and education would look like uh, in an environment that may be uh, a hybrid between conventional face-to-face training and uh, remote training. So we found ourselves, like many companies, uh, forced to develop uh, remote capabilities and conceive of something that uh, we hadn't thought of initially when we put uh, pen to paper. We learned a lot. We talked a lot to, uh, to potential clients. We talked to knowledge providers that would work with us. We also talked to potential students. And we learned that uh, a number of things. Number one is that a lot of routine activities that people were doing in work, they were now going to be doing at home. The other is that remote meetings and, and training was something that was not going to go away. People liked the idea of working from home. They became very comfortable with the different tools that were available to do remote training. And uh, that was something that, no matter what, we knew was going to stay. But it wasn't too long into the pandemic and people working from home that we were already beginning to see the Zoom fatigue set in. We did find that, particularly when we were trying to do online training and when we were conducting online meetings, that uh, engagement was dropping because people were just, finding it difficult to to interact in that very one dimensional type of of environment. So the pandemic kind of pointed up two things. Number one is that people can do work outside of work and they can do it quite effectively whether it's at home or elsewhere. The other is that they uh that they like flexibility but that they also needed the social connection and the social interaction. And so particularly coming out of, out of a real estate development uh, company, we had to reinvent how we thought about offices. Reinvent it as an uh, office, not as a place that you get work done, but as an option where work can be done. And that the office can become more of a social hub and that it can become a place where uh, people can innovate because that's something that uh, in a social uh, environment is key to be able to have that interaction, that human interaction and to bounce and build uh, ideas. So flexibility, uh, capability of, of being able to do work remotely, but having that, uh, that uh, environment that promotes the social interaction and connection from an innovation and a learning standpoint were the the key ingredients that we found coming out of the uh, pandemic and the need for remote uh, work capabilities.
0: So, would you say that um, things are still playing out with respect to where our working style is going? So, for instance,
1: during the pandemic,
0: we were sort of coasting along, drawing on, on the reserve of sort of social capital that we had built up when we were face-to-face. And now we're working on really recharging the tank quite a bit. You mentioned that people really enjoy the flexibility to be able to work from home or work remotely, not even from home, uh, when they have the opportunity or when they have the need to or the interest to. But there seems to be a tension between that and the companies now that are saying, gee, we really want you back in. and We want you back in almost all the time. And maybe some of that is driven by reports of decreased efficiency and productivity and that sort of thing, so do you think we're still kind of in process here, and we're not where we're gonna be eventually
1: yeah you know as um as we work with different companies and we've worked with uh with a multinational companies as well as government agencies we're we're also seeing that tension in terms of how does the work flexibility and uh the office of the future play out. And I think it's still a work in progress. There are some of the older legacy uh, companies and agencies that are struggling with it. And, uh, you know, trying to, trying to understand how do you ensure performance if you're not seeing people in the office? It's an interesting dilemma. Uh, and it's one where as we train on leadership, We challenge leaders to think about what is it that you're really looking for? Is it outcomes or is it time? That's what you need to to look at. Uh, Is it uh, what people are accountable for or is it accounting for the number of bodies in, in the room? Those are some of the things that, as you know, you start digging down and you start doing the double click. Leaders say, you know what? You're you're posing some interesting questions to me it's more the outcomes as opposed to to the time and then we start talking about well what is it that you need to uh, to do to make it uh, to make the office environment uh, more productive and and more of a place a destination for your employees to come to and that opens up a whole other bunch of conversations about the office environment the role of the office But I do think it's still an evolving process and it particularly uh,
0: is a function of the different industries that you talk to. Well, it's a complex topic, there's no doubt about that. And I guess we'll we'll all stay tuned and we'll be part of the process. Um, I wanted to pivot again a little bit uh, and tell you that I had my first actual hands-on AI experience this week. I just got on ChatGPT and I typed in or list the qualities of a Gensler leader. And like as fast as I could blink, practically, it came out with this really pretty well thought out list of 10 qualities uh, that made sense to me. I'm not sure where they came from, uh, but it was it was just amazing and typed in a couple of other things. And it's uh, remarkable what you can get back out again. Uh, And then I had done a little research and I don't know if you've heard about the lawyer, I think, in New York that used and he's a 35 year experienced lawyer, but he used ChatGPT. To develop a legal brief that he filed with the court. But the only problem was there were six cases that were cited that didn't exist. And including citations from those cases that ChatGPT just made up. And so the judge now for the case is facing this unprecedented situation where he had never seen anything like that before. He's asked the lawyer to come in and, and explain himself. So right right away, we're seeing, you know very interesting good and bad situations happening. How are you seeing AI and and is it entering into what you're doing or your philosophy of Catapult as we go forward? Yeah,
1: you know, it's interesting, David, because uh, some of the younger folks in our office uh, were also talking about uh, generative AI, and uh, one of them introduced uh, ChatGPT to me as well uh, early on, and I played with it as well. And oh, I think I I entered in something in the area of neuroscience of learning just to see uh, how effective it would be and and what the quality of the information would be. And I have to say, the first response wasn't uh, wasn't great, but it wasn't bad either. And I asked a follow-up question, and it got a little bit better. And by the time I asked my third or fourth question, I started to worry about whether I was going to have a job or not because uh, <laughs> it was it was getting much, much better uh, as I asked uh, different questions. So I think it's pretty exciting. And uh, I've also been, like many people, uh, beginning to immerse myself in it to understand it a little bit better. I'm not a, a computer expert, but given my background in neuroscience, I, I understand uh, a little bit uh, about it, you know, because it, it is based on how humans think and how humans learn. And I understand that it's a, a content creation tool and it relies on, on pattern recognition, which is something that's well known in, in cognitive psychology. Um, and it uses algorithms that are trained to, to, to learn across various databases. But that's a very surface understanding of, of how uh, AI works. I actually wrote a paper on this for LinkedIn because one of the things that that I'm very, very interested in is the intersection of AI and how it will be used in, in a business context and particularly what leaders are going to need to know. And uh, I titled the paper, The Other AI, because we're spending a lot of time on generative AI. And... I think there's a human element that we tend to forget. The output from AI is is based on on databases. It's it's quite fascinating what comes out of it. But to the point that you just raised, how do you know it's true? How do you know it's right? We're still in the very early stages of of AI and it's doing some fascinating things. But to the point that you made, it's also producing some some answers that are quite uh, contradictory. Uh, sometimes flat out wrong, and certainly subject to uh, the way the question is asked. So the other AI that I talk about are what are some of the things that I think as a human and particularly leaders in in the business industry, we're going to need to have and know and do uh, if we're going to take the most advantage of AI. And I came up with two I don't think it's uh, it's exhaustive by any means, but I think that they're important, and one is that I think that you know business leaders are going to have to really up their game in terms of agility. We talk about uh, agility, and we know uh, there are business uh, and leadership measures of agility like uh, cultural agility, uh, results agility, you know change agility but there's going to be a new agility, a new muscle that we need to develop around generative AI. And and that's the agility to understand the tech that's involved in AI. The agility to be able to ask questions in multiple ways, because as you saw in the example that, uh, uh, that you read about, the way you ask the question can determine the output of what the generative AI will give you. So leaders are going to have to be agile in a way with this new technology that they may not have been in in the past. The other skill, David, that I would add in there is continuing to build teams that are are cognitively diverse and culturally diverse and making sure that there's an inclusive element to, to their inputs. Because... Once again, the, uh, the output from, uh, from AIs are predicated on two things. Number one, the databases they access, and number two, the way they're taught. And I'm brought back to a, an interesting bit of research that was done by the Bulimia Institute and was reported by the New York Post, where uh, the question was asked of an AI, what is the ideal body shape? And uh, the AI produced something that was extremely uh, unrealistic. I mean, it was for both the men and the women, the proportions and dimensions were, uh, were extremely out of proportion, something that maybe a, a comic book superhero might have. Uh, the other is that all of them, or the majority of them, were uh, Caucasian. Now, that's because that's the database that was utilized. And if you had a room of people that that were were of a similar look, they might say, "Okay, yeah, that's the ideal body." Certainly, the AI has given me that uh, that information. But if you had a more diverse group of people that were looking at that, they would say, "Hey, listen, that's not the ideal appearance. Uh, that's a a subsegment of of a database, a set of databases." that's reflecting that that doesn't reflect reality so once again you need the human element particularly a a diverse element that uh, uh, is inclusive from the standpoint of listening to different voices to be able to to come up with with the right answer or to double check and make sure that uh, there's there's not only statistical validity but some face validity
0: behind what uh, the ai is producing. Well, I think that's one of the noted uh, problems with AI at this point is that there is bias in the system and we're going to have to figure out how to take it away from that. James, I wanted to congratulate you for bringing Project Catapult um, you know, from from idea to reality and uh we know you've been successful so far and and will be very successful as the project goes forward. Also wanted to thank you for being an awesome client. Our uh, our collaboration with you was just a uh, just superior. And so thank you for that. And we wish you all the success as you go forward. Any parting thoughts on any of the things that we've touched on?
1: Well, first off, David, thank you. Uh, personally, it, it's been great working with you and, uh, you know, in the broader sense, working with the Gensler team. Uh, I don't uh, believe that we would have been able to, to produce the type of learning institute that we have here uh, without the collaboration that we've had together. I'm very excited about the future of where Catapult is going as well as as executive education. I look at the dual areas of design and technology and how that's going to influence our ability to uh, upskill the uh, future business leaders as, as something that it's exciting. I'm very optimistic about it. And uh, I'm glad that uh, Catapult is is playing
0: a a pivotal part in that, in in this part of the world. Well, thank you for being a friend of Gensler. And thank you for being my personal friend here in Singapore. I really appreciate that, your support. I know we'll be partnering together uh, for years, both on projects official and unofficial, as we try and make the world a better place through our own design. I've been talking with Dr. James Andrade. I'm David Calkins. Thank you for listening. and We'll see you on the next podcast.